I've been toying in my mind with this uh, analogy, this story that I want to tell, because I know it's far-fetched, okay? So I know that ahead of time, and afterwards you're going to come up to me and say, yeah, but it wouldn't work because of it. I know, I know. So, uh, but just, just stay with me for just a second. Imagine, if you will, if we were in a political cycle, you know, somebody's running for president, and let's imagine that this person promises... And we, for some reason, believe this promise. Uh, but uh, politician running for office, and we believe his promise. But you know, again, suspend your imagination for just a second. But so, so this person is running for office, and he is incredibly wealthy beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. And he promises that from his vast personal wealth, that when he becomes president, he's going to not only pay off our national debt, and just totally erase all of that by paying out of his own checkbook. He's going to write a check and he's going to clear off all the national debt. Not only is he going to do that, but he's going to also pay off your personal debt so that you will be completely debt-free. And then on top of that, he's going to fully fund, out of again, out of his personal account, he's going to fully fund your retirement and pay for all of your health care from now on out. That sound pretty good? Right? That sounds great to me, right? Somebody's going to personally take care of all of those things if, if he becomes president. Now, again, my metaphor would work better if we were talking about a king rather than somebody that's trying to bribe us to vote for him. But just imagine. And he says, if I am in charge, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive all of the debt nationally and personally. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of in sickness and in your old age, and I'm going to take care of everybody and make sure that you're provided for. And then imagine the anticipation you would have to to wonder, is this person going to become the leader? Is the promises that he made, are these promises going to come to fruition? Are they going to come true? And and you would you'd wait with bated breath, wouldn't you, as you turned on the television that evening to see if this person won the election, and then... If they did, you would take that as good news, right? Good news. Good news. The the promises are going to come true. And again, if you really believe that this person was going to keep all of those promises, that it would be good news. I mean, we, we kind of feel that way every time in every country all over the world and always have when a new leader takes office that we believe, for some reason, we believe the promises that they make, that what they said was going to come true. And that the good times are here now. The bad times have gone and the good times are here. And so we shout, good news, the person I hoped would become the leader has become the leader. And the things that he said he was going to do now are going to come true and come to fruition. Now, one of the most important words In the New Testament, one of the most important words in all of Scripture is the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion. Now, do you think, I don't care, that sounds like Greek. It it is Greek. Uh, But but listen, it's one of the most important words. We translate that word as gospel. But here's the thing. When we hear the word gospel... That sounds like a religious word, doesn't it? It sounds like kind of a churchy word. We really don't talk about gospel in the secular world. We talk about gospel here. But in the first century... Euangelion wasn't a church word. It wasn't a religious word. It was a word that had political implications. It was a word that even had military implications. If somebody came shouting Euangelion, good news, good news, something has happened. The bad things have gone and the new things have come. 
The, the old way of doing things is gone and the new way is here. The, the one that, that was going to take charge has taken charge. And he's, he's conquered and he's victorious and he's going to give gifts and he is going to bless and he is going to do good things. Euangelion, good news. Something has happened that changes everything. You see, in every time a, a people ever felt that way, anytime anybody ever felt like there's a new emperor or there's a new king or there's a new governor or this victory has been won, all of those things are just tiny, tiny little glimpses of the true euangelion, the true good news. So when we say gospel. When we say, I want to tell you about the gospel, this is what we should mean. What we should mean is a new king has come to his throne. The enemies have been and are being and will be defeated. The old things are gone. The new things are here. And that feeling that you would have if somebody said, when I take office, I'm going to erase the national debt and your personal debt, and I'm going to take care of you in your sickness and in your old age, that isn't a fantasy. That is a reality in Jesus, isn't it? That's what we're saying. When we say euangelion, when we say gospel, when we say good news, we're saying that God, through Jesus, has done something to change everything for everyone, for all time. The old things are gone. The new things have come. If you're in Christ Jesus, then you are a new creation. Euangelion, good news. The king is king, and he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he has claimed victory over sin and death, and he forgives debt so that everybody is reconciled to God. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? He reconciled. We talked about that last week as we looked at 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, that Jesus is reconciling God and man. He's reconciling heaven and earth. That Jesus is, he is perfectly both. He's an earthling, right? He's bodily And all the fullness of God, Colossians chapter 2, all the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. That that Jesus is perfectly man and perfectly God and that he unites heaven and earth. And that's what we're saying. We're saying euangelion. We're saying gospel. We're saying good news. We're saying God has done something to tear down the curtain, to break down the wall, to unite heaven and earth, to unite God and mankind, to reconcile, to bring relationship between, to take away the enmity, to take away the animosity, to forgive the debt, to bring us and make us one. It's good news. But church, I'm not sure that's always what we mean when we say gospel. I'm not sure that that's always what we mean when we say, tell people about Jesus. You see, because, and maybe this was a fault of of, of me growing up and just the way I was thinking and the way I was hearing things, but when I grew up and I heard the word gospel, or when I heard about Christianity, or I heard about telling people about Jesus, I assumed that what 
Christianity was all about or what the gospel was all about was that Jesus came and gave us a new set of rules, right? You have the old covenant, old set of rules, new covenant, new set of rules. And if you obey really, really well the new set of rules, then maybe, just maybe, you can be good enough to go to heaven when you die. Maybe, just maybe, if you follow Jesus' rules, not the Old Testament rules, not anybody else's rules, but you follow Jesus' rules, then maybe, just maybe, you can save yourself. And I think I'm not the only one who thinks that that's what gospel means, or who thought that's what gospel means. Because I've talked to far too many Christians, people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I've sat with them in their declining years. I've told you before about my grandmother, precious Christian woman who looked at me as a 10-year-old boy and said, Wes, I don't know that anybody can ever really know if they've been good enough to go to heaven. And the more I grew and the more I came to understand euangelion, the more I came to understand good news, gospel, the more I realized that what she was saying wasn't true. What she was saying was confused and misunderstood. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not good rules. The gospel is not good rules. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not good instruction. The gospel is good news. Something has happened. God has done something. Now, does that mean that there are things that you and I must do in response to and in order to receive the good news? Absolutely. But church, listen, when we talk about sharing the gospel with people, when we talk about sharing the good news with people, we're not talking about sharing with them the steps that they need to go through. We're not talking about sharing with them a set of rules that they have to try to be good enough to achieve. We're talking about sharing with them what God, through Jesus, has done. And I'm afraid this is one of the reasons why we're afraid to share the gospel with people. This is one of the reasons why we don't tell people the gospel, because in our heart of hearts, many of us don't believe that we're really saved. The good news, the euangelion, the gospel hasn't really sunk into our hearts and minds. And we're still sitting here wondering, have I been good enough? Have I kept all the rules? Have I done everything right? When Jesus comes back, will I be condemned? And as long as we think that, as long as we listen to Satan, and Satan is the accuser, isn't he? And that's what he does. He wants us to stay on trial. He wants us to continue to think that we're condemned. Because as long as we think we are condemned, as long as we stay in that, not only are we going to trouble ourselves, but we're going to fail to reach out to others with the good news. Can you imagine how much it would change us if we really believe this? That Jesus has taken the throne and that all those who surrender themselves to him, all those who give their allegiance to this new king and his new kingdom, their debts are wiped away. They are reunited, reconciled, made one with God. That they and God are family. That they and God are part of the same covenant body now and for eternity. And that Jesus' victory over death means their victory over death. Can you imagine how we would change the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we open our mouth 
and share with others if we really believed euangelion. Good news. Gospel. The king has done something to change the world forever. To change me forever. And I haven't been good enough. And I haven't checked everything off any kind of a list. And Jesus didn't come just to give us a new set of good rules. Jesus came to give us new life in himself. Jesus came to pay the price himself. So we can look at any book in the New Testament, really, and and find this message. But this morning, I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. In chapter 1, Peter says, and Peter, it's an amazing book. Because Peter is, is helping these Gentile Christians, and that's what we are, most of us, right? Gentile Christians, non-Jewish, racially non-Jewish people who have come to follow a Jewish king and have been grafted into the family tree of Israel. And so that now that story about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, all of that has become our family story. Even though we didn't come from Israel, we came from Africa or from Asia or from Europe or from North America or South America or Mexico or wherever it is that we descended from, we're all now part of the Israel story. We're all, by faith, Israelites. And that's really what Peter is saying here. Peter is connecting their current struggle and their current strife and the current suffering that they're going through, and he's tying that to Israel's story. And he's saying, you see, this is, this is your story now. This is who you are. Not because of the Exodus, but because of Jesus. But everything is, is shadowed back to that Old Testament story. So he says things like that, like this. He says, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Now, now, when a, a Jewish person hears ransomed with blood, you might think back to the Exodus, right? And think about the Exodus story, about how God overcame and destroyed and showed how utterly weak and non-existent the Egyptian gods were, right? I mean, God brought Egypt, the world's most powerful empire, to its knees and showed that the gods that they looked to for protection and for providence, that those gods were nothing. God was victorious over them. And and then on that last plague, as he brought his people out of Egypt, he told them to put blood, right? Blood above the doors of their homes. And it was through that blood that he ransomed his people out, that he purchased them, that all the firstborn of Israel now belong to him. And if the firstborn belongs to God, then all the people belong to God. The firstborn of Egypt died because they weren't ransomed with blood. But the people of Israel were ransomed with blood. And so they were delivered through that ransoming blood power were brought safely out of death, through the water, and into freedom, and into eventually the promised land. And so Peter says, this is your story now. Not because of the blood of a, of a sheep, of a lamb, but because of the blood of Jesus, you've been ransomed. You... And he, this event, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, for your sake, who through Jesus are believers 
in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, that's euangelion. That's good news. That's gospel. Is that Jesus' blood ransoms you. Jesus' blood makes it so that the angel of death passes over you. Jesus' blood makes it possible that you are brought out of slavery and into freedom, out of death and into life. And your faith as delivered people, as ransomed people, as freed people, your faith is not in yourself. Your faith is not in yourself. Your faith is not in your goodness. Your faith is not even in your faith. Do you hear me? Your faith isn't even in your faith. It's not about, do I have enough faith to be saved? Am I really, do I believe enough? Your faith isn't in your, your, your works, and your faith isn't even in your faith. Your faith is in God, because this is what God has done. This is euangelion. This is gospel. This is good news. And what we're saying is, we really do believe that Jesus is that king. We really do believe that he has been victorious over death. We really do believe that his blood ransoms. We really do believe that he washes away our debt. We really do believe that he provides for us in our sickness. We really do believe that he'll bring us back from the dead. We really do believe. We really do give him our allegiance. And because of that, then this is true of us. Verse 9 of chapter 2. You are a chosen race. You see, I mean, all of these terms could have been used of Israel and were used of Israel under the old covenant. But now, because of Jesus, now this is true of you and me. No matter who we are ethnically or racially, no matter who our parents were or our grandparents were, no matter what we've done or haven't done, if we've surrendered ourselves, repented of our sins, and gave up that other life and said, I belong to Jesus now. My faith is in Him. I am a believer and a worshiper of God. Now we are a chosen race. A chosen race. This is my race. I always tell people, I wish that on those little forms where you, you check which race you belong to, there's other, I might start checking other and put Christian. That's my race, right? It is. That doesn't mean that I, I'm not thankful for the family I came from or the place I came from or the nation I came from, but I am in Jesus a new creation. And if you're in Jesus, then you're a new creation. You're part of something brand new. You've been born again. And you've been adopted into and grafted into a different story, a different family, ultimately a different race. And this isn't just any race. This is, Peter says, is a chosen race. God picked you, his family, his race of people, the believers in Jesus, the followers of Jesus, to be a royal priesthood. We talked about this in our class in Leviticus, didn't we? That a priesthood brings the people to God and brings God to the people. So that we are throughout the world, in the United States and Mexico and South America and in Canada and in Europe and in Asia and in Africa and all over the world, those who are in Jesus, 
are a royal priesthood. We are royalty and we are serving as priests, bringing the nations to our God and bringing the blessings of our God to the nations. That what Israel was always supposed to be, a blessing to the nations, a light to the world, the salt of the earth, now has become true in Jesus' people. We are the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, a royal priesthood spread all over the world to change the world for Jesus. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That, that, so that, here's, here's the application of what he's saying. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. <laughs> when you tell somebody the gospel, when you tell somebody the euangelion, when you tell somebody the good news, you're not saying, hey, I just want you to know I'm a really good person and I want you to follow my easy steps to being a really good person. I, I want you to know how you can be as good as me. Is that what you're sharing with people? When you share the gospel with someone, you're proclaiming the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on him. And if it is a matter of you bragging on yourself, then you don't really understand the euangelion yet. Because it's not about how good you are, how good you've been, or what you've done. It's about Him and bringing you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Think about the Israelites being brought out of Egyptian slavery and into the promised land. I mean, what could they say? I mean, hey, you know, we were really awesome. I mean, we, you know, we stepped in that water. We kind of one foot in front of the other. I mean, they complained and they grumbled the whole way. There was nothing they could brag on in themselves. They didn't, they didn't win the victory. They didn't bring the gods of Egypt to their knees. They didn't keep themselves from dying. It was God who passed over them. It was the power of the blood. It was the, the strength and the victory of God. So as they come out and they sing the praises of God, they're not singing their own praises or patting themselves on the back. They're proclaiming the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That word proclaim, I want to go back to that for just a second. Ex angelo. It means to tell out or to tell forth or to proclaim or I even like the word publish. Publish the excellencies of God. See, because that's what saved people do. Saved people tell people, don't they? When God has done something awesome for you, you tell somebody about it, don't you? When anybody has done something awesome for you, you tell somebody about it. If somebody gave you a new car, would you tell the world about it? Would you post it to Facebook? Say, somebody just gave me a brand new car. If somebody forgave all of your debt, student loan debt, medical debt, credit card debt, it's gone. All of it, it's gone. And right now you owe zero, nothing. Would you tell somebody about it? Yeah, you'd tweet it, you'd Facebook it, you'd put it, give it to a carrier pigeon. I mean, you'd tell everybody that you could, wouldn't you? I mean, if, if somebody took leadership, if somebody became king, 
that took away all of your debt and provided for you for the rest of your life, you'd tell the world how great he is, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. And he, Peter says, God made you this chosen race and this holy nation and this royal priesthood so that, so that you would talk about it, so that you would shout it, so that you would tell it forth, so that you would proclaim it, so that you would publish it, so that you would share it. And if we're a holy nation and a royal priesthood and a chosen race that doesn't talk about it, something has gone drastically wrong. Look at the Psalms. Psalm 71 and verse 15. Now, this word, ex angelo, doesn't show up in the New Testament except here in 1 Peter 2, but it's, it's kind of an Old Testament word. In the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, it comes up several times, like here, Psalm 71 and verse 15. My mouth, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts. Saved people tell people, right? Saved people share. Saved people proclaim. Saved people publish. Saved people declare. Save people say, I can't help but talk about how good God is because I am messed up. I have messed up royally and I have done so many things and I am so broken that even my thoughts and my feelings are confused so much of the time. But in spite of me, God has torn down the wall and he has ripped up the curtain, and he has reconciled, and he has reunited heaven and earth. He has reunited himself to me through Jesus, and I can't help but tell people about it. That's euangelion. That's gospel. That's good news. Verse 17, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Is that ever our prayer? I mean, look at what he's saying. He's saying, don't let me die until I can tell more people about you. Don't let me die until I can tell the next generation how good you are. Don't let me die until I can proclaim your name and your deeds to another generation. Is that our prayer? Or do we ask God for long life for ourselves? God, please let me hold on to life so that I can, what? Eat another meal, go on another trip, enjoy things a little bit longer? Or do we say, God... It is my life, it is my joy, it is my duty to shout from the rooftops how awesome you are. Please don't let that end. I just want to tell another generation about you. Don't let me pass away until I can tell more people your wondrous deeds. Verse 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. I hope that as we've thought about that this month, as we've thought about our fear and our apprehension with sharing, telling others about God, that we've challenged our fears and that we've challenged those obstacles. Because we all have them, don't we? There's a million reasons why we don't tell somebody about Jesus. 
And there's a big burden that we feel, isn't there? My, my little boy, on Monday this past week, Noah, he's six years old, he was at this community day camp thing, and for the first time in his life, he met a little boy who at least claims that he's an atheist. And the, my son asked him, where do you go to church? And the little boy said, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. And, and so that kind of took my little boy back, and I tried to tell Noah, he's just parroting what his parents told him to say. But So, so he, he tried, he said, Dad, I tried everything I could think of to tell him that God is real. And last night, as, as we laid there and we said our prayers, we said an extra prayer for his little friend Isaac, because Isaac doesn't believe in God, and it it weighed heavy on my little boy's heart that he couldn't get him to believe in God. That's not our job, though, is it? I can't make anybody else believe. I can't make anybody else obey. I can't make anybody else a Christian. But I can share. I can share with other people how good God is. I can tell people what great things he has done. We talked about a few weeks ago that we need to learn with the intention of teaching. We need to become disciples with the intention of making disciples. We talked about last week that when we understand the why, we'll figure out the how. When we understand why it's so important to talk about the Lord, we'll understand and we'll figure out how to talk about the Lord. But this morning, I want us to end on this thought that sharing the gospel is really just bragging on Jesus. That's all it is. You don't have to force anybody to believe anything. You don't have to twist anybody's arm. You don't have to make anybody do anything. And I know you feel a burden, especially for your friends and your family, that they they don't know what you know, and you feel this burden for them. But sometimes we don't say what needs to be said because we're afraid, and we don't know how to go about making them a Christian. You can't make them a Christian. You can't make them believe. But here's what you can do. You can brag on Jesus, can't you? You can brag on Jesus. You can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you can say, this is what God has done. This is how good God is. This is why I believe. This is why I love him. You can confess your weaknesses. And you can be a good example. And you can show them what following Jesus looks like. And you can brag on Jesus till you're blue in the face. And you're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on him. Because we were brought out of darkness and into light so that we would proclaim His excellencies. So let's do that this week. Imagine what might happen in your life, in your world. Imagine what might happen in our community if each and every person from McDermott Road decided that we're going to go out every single week and we're going to find ways to brag about Jesus. We're going to find ways to tell people how good Jesus is and what Jesus has done and why we love Jesus so very much. Let's do that this week. Let's be committed to that because God committed all to our salvation. So we commit all to him, to his glory, to his cause, and to his people. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet responded to the good news, that hasn't yet responded to the gospel. You're not coming forward saying, I've got it all figured out. In fact, you're coming forward saying, I don't have it all figured out. I'm broken and I'm in debt and I can never pay off my debt. And you come to Jesus and you're buried with Jesus in baptism and you're raised up a part of the new creation, forgiven and reconciled, made whole, so that now you can walk with him in obedience and in love and so that now you can proclaim his excellencies to the world. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for, friend? Let's do that this morning. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. There's a room in the back. Our shepherds 
would love nothing more than to meet with you and pray with you after services or right now. The invitation is yours. Come forward as we stand and sing.